hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly Utini podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am your host, Timothy Guthrie, and I'm joined this week by fresh off of Legends Look Back, Patrick McIntosh. How you doing, man? I'm an emotional wreck after this. Yeah? My feelings, my feelings hurt. This hurts. <laughs> I, I gotta know. I gotta know real quick. What 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 was it like being on a live Twitch show uh, with Jared and Freddie? Man, it was. You can really see how your team's grown being on this, and it was very. It was a lot of fun. I'm not gonna lie. I was nervous because you know it was like visual podcast, whole lot different than you know just straight up audio. I'm excited to say I'll be back for the second part of the roundtable next week, and I can't wait. That's awesome, man. Well, making the big times. And then Adam Dyson is with us as well. Adam, you got to be featured this week on uh, Utini Decrypted, which is uh, a Patreon show for all of our $10 and up tiers, our Inquisitorious tier. You got to show off a little bit of your Anakin collection. How are you, sir? Good, my friend. I did think about just not turning up to this episode and just forgetting it was never going to happen. So, <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> yeah, it was cool yeah. being on Utini Decrypted. Uh, everyone got to see all my pop Funkos, which now you can all judge me for the amount that I have that I judge myself, but it doesn't stop. I, I think the coolest two more yesterday. <laughs> As you should. I thought it was really cool how you had on the, the very top bookshelf, you've got every like iteration of Anakin. I was like, that's so cool from, I mean, kid pod racing Anakin all the way up through his different stages to Darth Vader. Uh, That's awesome, man. How how long did it take you to get all those together? Well, because I have no self-control, I ordered it within about a week. (laughs) As well as as the the lightsaber. (laughs) The first part of admitting you have a problem is coming out and opening up about the problem. So you're you're on the road to recovery. And I'm going to be stuck on stage one. Forever. <laughs> the word shrine gets you, thrown around. You also... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> good. Well, we do have several updates. It's good to catch up with you guys, uh, but we've all got some things kind of going on in our world. Patrick, I know, um, you know we just mentioned Legends Look Back. You're going to be featured this upcoming Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern for part two of kind of Reven, Older Public kind of timetable, right? Roundtable. So that's awesome. Adam, uh, what do you got going on? What do you want to talk about in Discord? Um, what's going on? A few things happening on Discord. Over the last couple of days, we've had a big influx of Project Stardust team members, which has been really cool, and they're going to bring a lot to the server. And our 500-member giveaway finished uh, a few days ago, so shortly after we discussed it last episode. And one of the Utini originals, Patrick, Patrick from our Jedi High Council, was actually able to walk away with some sweet merch. So that was great to see someone from back in the Utini box days walk away with with a nice prize as we grow and continue to grow. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see the the loyalty from from a lot of our our community members, and a lot of that is attributed to the fact that we are so positive. I think, and you did mention we had a lot of Project Stardust members join our community this week. For those of you that do not know, um, that are listening both here live in Discord and um, on Patreon when this releases on Tuesday, Project Stardust 
is a female-led website and community um, that celebrates feminine voices in the Star Wars universe and fandom, especially over the last week as Meg, who's one of our beloved Utini members, as, as this project has been developing, you know, there are just some really hateful people out in the world that think Star Wars is exclusive to men or Star Wars is exclusive to their particular interests and views and the things that they want to see. Um, and they've been very hateful and rude and derogatory towards women and positivity. And they just, they don't have a place um, among us. And so we've tried to extra amplify Project Stardust recently because Star Wars is for everyone. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. I mean, it doesn't matter where your background is, you know, where you came from. Um, there are life lessons to be learned. And I mean, as we've discussed in, in this book already, you know, we all, the three of us even read, read things differently. Um, you know, we, we bring our own things to it and it's cool to be able to hash that out and have those conversations. So for all of those Project Stardust, you know, workers, for all the articles that they're writing, for everything that they're doing for this community, we, we value you, we respect you, and we look forward to seeing all of the incredible good you're going to do um, in the community. So thanks for being along. Thanks for joining the discord. And now that we've gotten through all of that, let's get into the heartbreak. <laughs> we are going to try to make this a positive thing. Brea, I, I am going to, to try very, very hard to make that happen. So let's get into the quick summary and then we'll get into the opening thoughts and talk about Talk about our feelings. This is spoiler disclaimer. Um, remember, we are finishing out Revenge of the Sith. If you haven't seen the film, one, what is wrong with you? Um, two, definitely we're finishing up this book. So we may talk about some greater themes in Star Wars and just a heads up on that. So in this final section, we see the culmination of thousands of years of Sith patience, the end of the Clone Wars and the birth of the Galactic Empire. For our heroes, we see Mace Windu fall out a window. Um, Anakin gives himself over to the dark side. Obi-Wan practices deep breathing. Yoda realizes he isn't enough. Bale shows us what love really is. And Padme provides us with a new hope. That is as streamlined, I think, as I could get it. Patrick, what are your opening thoughts on the end of this phenomenal book? The hairs on the back of my neck are still standing upright. And... I must say, I loved every bit of the poetry, the symbolism, and just just the depth that this was given to us from what we've seen in the film, and how heartbreaking that is, because I don't know about y'all, but the latter half of episode three for me makes me tear up, even if I'm just sitting watching it on my laptop, on the bed by myself, I still get teary-eyed. The book just made it a thousand times worse. Yeah, this is the, the second time that I have read it, and I feel like in reading it for the second time, I forgot reading it the first time because it all seemed so fresh and new. And I read this just, you know, seven months ago. Um, Adam, before I throw it over to you, I also want to make a correction because you've edited our show notes and I forgot Eric's Lord and Savior, Bail Organa, shows us what love really is. <laughs> so there we go. The Lord and Savior part is there. Adam, what are your opening thoughts on this? I do, I do love the ending and it's my second listen to it as well because I take most of my books in through audio and it was, I had to be really careful because I listened to a lot of these final chapters at work in front of other people in a public place so I had to just kind of stop a few times because it is just an amazing story and it's it's one that you know we've seen the movie a thousand times I've now read this book 
or listen to this book twice and it doesn't matter. It just feels like you're reading it for the first time. It's just the same enjoyment, in quote, enjoyment bringing sadness and angst is just, it's just there. And I, I, you know, this is one of those stories I think that I'll just continue to read every year now that I've read it. Read it last year, read it this year. It's probably going to be a next year read. It's just, it's like the Star Wars Bible in a way. Yeah, this is this is everything done right, I think, about Star Wars. I mean, there's a reason it's on the foundational five, and it really does add so much to the film, which, you know, we'll talk about. I mean, there are some scenes that are drastically expanded, and many that are also pretty brief. Um, you know, like some of the action scenes that we get in the movie, I feel like take up, you know, 30, 45 minutes on their own, but I read them in a minute and a half here in the book, you know. Um, I think I think it, this was this was a great a great first read for us, and I think it it is pretty much everything great about Star Wars. So let's go into the the chapter by chapter kind of breakdown. Chapter seventeen starts us off with the face of the dark. You get Anakin reeling from emotional pain. Um, he's alone in the Jedi Council chambers, and he's reflecting on the fact that everything that he's just learned about Palpatine being the Dark Sith Lord about you know, Obi-Wan being separated and gone and just all of this travesty of I could save Padme, but I'd have to turn and all of this stress, all of that emotional baggage is worse than, you know, the physical pain and torment that he used to experience as a kid, you know, being in slavery under Watto. And he reflects on that. And it's going to lead to his turn to the dark side because he realizes no there's no choice like i have to save padme padme is it for me i've i've gotten this far i've done all of these things so far um i might as well you know take it the full the full way you know we're going to talk a lot about probably mental health in this particular episode i imagine not only our own but you know the characters patrick you know i kind of want to ask you what did you think about anakin and in, in this particular state especially you know pre you know pre the official turn all of that kind of emotional gravity what what are your reflections on it i still stick with my emotional breakdown take on him especially when we see him first go to mace windu in the revelation trying to get this revelation across to him and this man looks like he's been beaten with a two by four into an inch of his life and he's got the wind knocked out of him his eyes are raw Mm-hmm. And it looks like he was stuck in this in the middle of these political leanings so long that it just tore him in half. It literally tore his mind just to pieces. And you just gotta you just gotta feel for the poor kid. Yeah, he's he's been through a lot, and that's gonna kind of lead into when he decides to to go to Palpatine's office to try to. I don't know, rescue him to see if there's a way to save him, you know, not let Mace kill him and, you know, maybe still get, get the Padme recipe, I guess, to, you know, to keep her alive. You know, he sees them fighting. Right. And it's this dramatic thing. Like it kind of blinds him almost. Right. Like the, the force is so strong. The power that is, that he's witnessing is so evident. You know, Adam, I kind of want to ask you about, you know, his state through all this, you know, what what did you take from it? The Watto stuff really hits you because when you watch The Phantom Menace, there's that underlying, like, you know that Anakin and Shmi are slaves and Watto owns them as property. And it's just, you don't, even The Phantom Menace, it kind of, there's a, it kind of just floats away from it a little bit. And I mm-hmm. forgot from my first reading or for, like first reading of this book, 
that it goes into detail what Anakin suffered at Watto's hands, and it can you look at the Phantom Menace completely differently after you have read this chapter. Like there's, it's, mm-hmm. it just seems like a fine line between Watto's uselessness and clumsiness in the Phantom Menace to he was a tyrant clearly and beat up a nine year old boy. Like it's just really just kicks you in the stomach, and then it's just more that adds on to Anakin and. You could like his his journey to where we are now. There's a a reference, you know, that Obi Wan makes closer to the end of this section. You know, when he talks about how, you know, with Luke and Leia, you know, they may be the next Jedi Order, um, and you know, they're they, they we can train them the way that Anakin should have been trained. You know, do you think Adam that that if they had gotten him younger, I mean that he could have avoided all of that. You know, we, we talk a little bit in uh, Rebels and the Clone Wars and some of the, the Queen Shadow stuff about how it seems like the Outer Rim, like no one pays attention to the Outer Rim, especially with all the slavery. You know, do you think the Jedi could have changed anything for Anakin there? <clears throat> do you think it would have actually helped? It, it might have helped, but just I guess I just remember that he was he was born into that life, wasn't he? So... Unless they're waiting outside the birthing chamber, Anakin is still going to go through some traumatic experiences and can happen to you super young and you're still going to walk, you're still going to carry that with you. It's it's a hard one. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, one of the cool things that this chapter also does, I think, is it gives us a lot of things that the movie really skips over. You know, we get Palpatine kind of leading into his machinations of, you know, keeping his lightsaber stored in a statue that he had to, it was a different quality and a different type of stone that, you know, the security detectors couldn't see. Um, I was like, that's some intense thinking to get through that. I mean, he's been planning this for decades, but to go through all of that, you know, in the transport from Naboo, and then you get that he's got this recording hidden or, you know, he can flip the recording switch only audio though, so that he can speak just the right things at just the right time and give just enough detail. You know, he's winking so that he's like, haha, Mace, like you don't realize, but you're on candid camera. <laughs> um, you know, like there's all of this, all of this kind of happening. Um, and that was really cool to see the insight, I think, into setting that up a little bit more beautifully you know the book kind of segues into what the senate is actually hearing and why they can go for palpatine i think why they can stand for him and you know cheer him on in the chamber later but really this chapter gives us a lot of mace um, and especially his insight into using vapod and the things that and i'm sorry if i'm butchering how that's supposed to be said but i'm going for it um but it's really cool that we get to see you know, he created this, you know, Patrick, we talked in the last couple of weeks about how he was, you know, he's called a master because he developed his own thing. And we really get that play of the light and the dark, and he has to actually enjoy fighting in order for this to work. Tell me about your thoughts in, you know, Mace confronting Palpatine and really playing into this. Um, anything stand out to you there? Well, the one thing I always thought that, oh, he has to enjoy this fight. It's very Mandalorian of him. Um, two... <laughs> I feel like when he went to make the confrontation of Palpatine, that was already check and mate. No matter what came about, it was already check and mate. Because, and it was referenced earlier in the book, that by even fighting 
fighting the war, against fighting the Sith, and against going against these measures that were actually legally put in place, that Palpatine legally put in place, he had them in, in this corner that just led them down a darker and darker path. And and we see that. We see especially his dread when before he's going to confront him. We see his dread in realizing that all of this is almost for naught. And honestly, at the end of the day, him being a master of a pod doesn't matter, especially when you get snuck attack with a lightsaber to the hand. <laughs> one of the one of the things I found interesting about the fight was in the in the film, Anakin just kind of runs into the room and tries to prevent it. You know, he throws his lightsaber out and he, you know, prevents Mace from striking him. But in the book, Anakin watches the fight happen for like several minutes. I mean, he's out in his hover car, just I mean, just watching it unfold. Um, Adam, do you think that says anything about I mean, obviously he's in a traumatized state, but what is it that he that he watches? You know, what do you think's going through his mind as he's as he's doing that i think he's just sitting outside the office he's he still hasn't made that decision it's still intern it's just internally fighting it's it's really a battle between two sides of him you got the jedi side and naturally the sith side the dark the shadow and he just he Mm -hmm. he's even at that point he hasn't made that decision yes he made the decision to leave the council chamber and and get there real quick but still hasn't crossed that line yet. He hasn't figured out the logistics of how it's going to go. And Mace ends up, as a result, Mace ends up falling out a window. I do think it's very interesting. I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and for all of the conspiracy theorists that exist out in the world, it doesn't conclusively say in the novel either that Mace is dead. So (laughs) I think he's on an island with Elvis and Tupac, and I think he's just looking for his hands. Yeah, I I think Mace is still alive because <laughs> uh, it just says he falls forever, you know? Did you really just say Elvis and Tupac? I did. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was an interesting choice. And then right after that, you know, Anakin's going to turn and Palpatine tells him, uh, you know, there's a way that you can can rechannel all of your emotions basically find the the highest point inside of yourself and anakin does this and he finds some separation and then there's this really beautiful scene where he kills the dragon within at least he thinks so you know adam we've been wrestling with this dragon you know for the whole book did you ever think that this thing was actually dead do you did, did you think that he had actually killed it no, I just I think that the dragon's master Palpatine just pulled it away a little bit and put it back in its cage. That's that's a good that's a good play. Yeah, I always thought of his dragon and his inner monologue and his inner voice was uh the was Palpatine just nudging him along, just nudging him along, much like Palpatine did with Ben Solo. The voices inside his head were always palps. That's a that's a great take, you know, and especially when you kind of see the kind of his influence on Obi-Wan, even at the beginning of the book, uh, how he kind of lets, you know, Palpatine draws that power into mm-hmm. himself to get the, you know, the Sith away, the darkness away and lets the light kind of shine. Yeah, That's good. I think that's really the only reason why Obi-Wan was able to become one with the force with him right there is because Papa Palps allowed it to happen. He, he, he was, he was controlling every aspect of the game at this point. Well, and the, 
the manipulation too of of getting Anakin to finally believe that he was what everyone said he was and the hero with no fear. Yeah. That's that's just master work in in terms of Palpatine's, you know, genius and savvy in doing that. Yeah, like a like a um, thousand like a thousand years of building up to this point and like we've all we've all been kids, we've all been super excited where we just there's a box there and you're a kid and you know something in something is in that box and you just want to open it and you, your parent says you can't but we will. It's just Imagine the patience, as like we said in the summary, that Palpatine has to go through, knowing that he is the catalyst for a thousand years of waiting. Which is really funny when you look at it. We look at the Sith, and we don't usually consider patience to be a virtue. Uh, right. However, that for a thousand years, it was really their main virtue, wasn't it? Yeah, and especially towards the end. I mean, with Palpatine, I mean, you had, you know, Darth Maul in episode one and in some of the comics where he's been fleshed out more recently, too. He is nothing but I've got to go. I've got to go. Yeah. I got to Let me kill some Jedi. Um, and for him to especially in the last you know several decades to be able to hold that in and rein that in, um, it could have gone wrong a lot of other ways. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are generations of, of Sith kind like of playing the Jedi with at their own game and beating them at it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's one of the Jedi tenants, except they they clearly couldn't do it. And it's funny that they could have learned something from a Sith Lord. Well, we get into chapter 18, which is Order 66, and everyone just gets massacred here, pretty much. Um, all of your favorites. Um, especially that The scene always hit me really hard, I think, with the, the music um, and the film and everything and getting to see, you know, some of our favorite heroes, you know, get, get gunned down. And then the younglings obviously that's brutal we get a lot more of that here uh but first you know we're on on Utapau, right um i loved the extended scenes here that we got with obi-wan um from cody's little jab uh like dang it this order couldn't have come in just you know just a few minutes early before i gave him his bloody lightsaber <laughs> <laughs> like i loved that um but one of the things i think that that kind of pulled for me that that brief scene i think it shows the difference between anakin and ahsoka and rex versus um you know obi-wan and cody and some of the other clones you know i don't i don't think that we have a very long list of clones that fought their programming you know at least by name and i, I thought that was really interesting that maybe anakin in a way saved rex and saved ahsoka by his training and, and his loose attachments there patrick does, does that drive with you uh, does that sound about right yeah it really does especially when you think back to um season seven the finale of clone wars when um anakin's talking to padme and she's like well you do rex is your friend and he's like yeah he he's he's a good friend of mine that's yeah you gotta have a They've become really close. You don't really see Obi-Wan and Cody having that real buddy-buddy relationship. It's strictly work. It's strictly to keep it at the office. You know, he's doing his proper Jedi duty. Cody's doing his proper soldier duty. And they leave it at that. So, Cody had no difficulty keeping that programming going when it came time to shoot him out the sky. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't imagine that Cody would have known about Obi-Wan and Satine. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, he wasn't privy to those conversations. No, and I don't think he would have. He would have backed him up either, like like Rex did for uh, for Anakin and Padme. Do you think um, Rex would have known about him as a team though? Oh, probably. <laughs> Anakin, pro Anakin probably told him. 
Yeah. We <laughs> say on the bridge. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You think I'm the only one? I do. There was a moment when, like, we see Bale, um, when we see him, you know, trying to go into the Senate as Order 66 is going down. And I thought it was kind of interesting that some of the clones were like, we can't leave any witnesses here. I don't know. That kind of stuck out to me a bit because it seemed like if it wasn't that big of a deal, then they just would have done it anyways. And I, I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, if that was a piggyback on the Order 66 code that, hey, not only are you killing all the Jedi, but you also can't tell anybody about what's really happening. Like, because to the clones, I would think they get the order. They do what they're supposed to do. You know, like you mentioned with Cody, like business as usual. You just, and the book says that. Adam, did you find that odd at all that, you know, they were like, oh, we, we, we just gunned down all these people. We can't have anybody saying anything against it. Yeah. Yeah, of course it's odd, but also put it down to that the clones based on Coruscant have probably been there the entire time since they've left Camino, where they've they've had Palpatine there, they've had Palpatine's corruption surrounding them for the entirety of the war. So I feel like and the the order of don't let anyone walk away from this might come a lot easier to those guys than it would have even Cody. Cody I think would uh, would have a problem with that however if you've been stuck on the capital world for so long then you know it's, i think it's a, a little different and you know patrick we talked in the last week about the the jedi trap the perfect jedi trap right on Utapau was for palpatine to get everybody separated and you know anakin would fall this way and obi-wan you know ought to be dead because he's not there with his you know his number two guy the clone wars in general were the perfect jedi trap Right, because by fighting it all, the Jedi ended up losing. Tell us your thoughts on on big Jedi trap and you know this being the the climax of the Clone Wars, if not the end of it. It really is because um, Palpatine set them up to use a bunch of, first of all, it's on morally contentious ground, using soldiers that are genetically modified objects. Yeah, that's that's moral question number one. So. At one, you can have the public turn on the Jedi because that's that's a one that's one hard way that's something very hard to ignore, especially when if you look at it a moral um, subtext, the separatists were using battle droids. That's another thing that they could have held it against them. That at least they're using machines, and by bringing them into this war itself, just fighting, it already drags you into to darkness. You're already dredged into killing drug into just the onslaught you're dehumanized from just death pain and violence it becomes second nature to you because if it doesn't you will die if you want to survive you have to almost embrace it in a lot of ways and and palpatine knew that as the sith know these things especially when it comes to the nature of battle and he played it perfectly yeah, yeah, he really did. Um, thinking to Obi Wan, I kind of want to close this chapter. You know, talking about him. You know, we do see he'd been through a lot on Utapau, right? Killing Grievous, trying to run away. Cody tries to shoot him down. He realizes that everything's going south. Um, Boga is there, just being a good girl and you know saving him. And literally, we read that it seems like she was able to to know what was coming when that rocket was coming at him um, when he was climbing up the cliff with her and she actually saved him. And I thought that was a really beautiful, you know, little moment uh, with the living force just kind of shining through there. 
And when everything's done and, you know, Obi-Wan hops in his starfighter and, you know, heads off into space to try to find anybody that is out there, you know, obviously we have Bail with uh, Sacy Tins, homing beacon. Um, and when, when Obi-Wan meets up with everybody else, you know, he, he is mentally breaking now. Um, you know, he's been this strong, um, keeping it together kind of person this whole time. And he sees all of these people. He looks at Yoda and it makes him think of everyone that he just lost, all of his friends that have been gunned down. Um, you know, he's looking at his his own master robes. He's looking at, you know, the scuffs that he's got on his hands, the cuts and the bruises and just trying to keep it together. Adam, let's talk about Obi-Wan here. He's been through a lot. He's one of the strongest Jedi, I think, that we have in the Order. What do you think's going on with him right now, man? I think as as we've gone through the whole story, we've seen that Obi-Wan has an incredible connection to the Living Force. And I can imagine that when he started to feel his brothers and his sisters fall, I think out of most Jedi, you know, not including any masters that have survived like Yoda as well, but I think Obi-Wan would have felt it, every one of them. And you could just imagine him, he's sitting in Grievous's you know, Mustang looking starship and he's just feeling it every, every passing of his brothers and sisters. And I, I can imagine that when he finally reaches Yoda, it's just the relief there, even though it's just Yoda, but it just would have been just so heartbreaking for him. It'd be like a Adam, commentary in his brain. Adam, yeah. I do want to know, were there sunglasses in uh, Grievous' Mustang-looking starship? <laughs> and <coughs> and bobbleheads. What about Han's dice? <laughs> he hates them, but there's a B1 bobblehead on the dash of that starship. <laughs> and I was going to, if, if you don't mind me saying, just like to the first part of the chapter, Timothy, I just wanted, like, I thought about the Martez sisters as well. How, okay, if you remember yeah. back to that arc, there was a, a great quote of, the Jedi are off starting wars. And I think mm. it kind of, I draw parallels to a bit of history buff as well, a little bit, not so World War II, like our, like the Senate, but more, more ancient. And, <laughs> you know, the Romans believe that the most important thing is what the mob thought. So what the people of the city thought. And I think this is a perfect example that the 10,000 plus Jedi are looking in upon themselves and, they're just unaware of what's going on with the trillions and trillions of people around the galaxy. And I think that was a major shortcoming that the normal, the normal citizen mace believed that they were more mongerers. And you can see why, you know, you sit in, you, you're fighting droids as generals and commanders and you can easily understand where the mob went with that mentality. And I think the Jedi just completely missed it. Too, too busy worrying about their internal struggles with the Senate and not really worried about what everyone else thinks. And sometimes in the end, in power, it is what the people think. Ask the French. <clears throat> Let the meat yeah. king. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, just to make, yeah, just, just thought I'd bring up just, yeah, that, just another shortcoming of the Jedi was not being aware of whatever, of what the galaxy thought at this point. They're not aware of much at all. No. <laughs> you know, they're they're so wrapped up inside of themselves and, and their own minds. And, you know, there's a 
there's a point, you know, it's, it's more directly talking about Anakin, especially towards the end. But I, I think this point is ac- applicable here too, for the order themselves that, you know, if all you do is you fight and you think about yourself, then eventually all you will be left with is yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very true of the Jedi in, in this particular point too. You know, they've been so wrapped up in their own heads and so consumed with their own doings that, yeah, they forget everybody else and they end up alone and stranded and hiding from the world <clears> because <throat> it's they've just completely turned on themselves. And you look, you and look at, yeah, and you look at Luke in The Last Jedi, he makes the same mistake and nothing's going well if he hides away. The Jedi hide and they look to themselves as soon as he breaks that barrier and he shows up on crate, things start to look up and the light starts to shine. And yeah, this just seems to be a mistake they continually make. And it's that's super unfortunate because they could have done a lot of good. They've done good for thousands and thousands of years, but no. But I'll bring it back to Obi Wan though. He needs a hug. <laughs> there we Obi-Wan go. Wan Let's hug Obi Wan. Patrick, what you got? Uh, this whole thing does make me bring up one point. Does being a follower of just purely the light keep you in that arrogance headspace? Hmm. Um. I I would say that there's definitely the trap there. Right. And I think that that's where you get, you know, especially among some uh, among some religions and, you know, whatnot, that you can become so legalistic that you forget just your basic humanity. Right. It becomes so self-righteousness. Yeah, for sure. Like you get so consumed with following the rules and being a, you know, a quote unquote good person that you're absolutely just a horrible person person to individuals who aren't like you who don't you know think like you or believe like you and so yeah i think not that not that you should have a healthy dose of both you know i don't think that would ever be the intent but i think that as you're striving to the light i think as you're as you're heading that direction i think it's it it's good to be mindful of of just keep pulse check with yourself you know like recognize you're not a perfect angel you know you're a you inherently you could be a bad person and work we should constantly be striving to be better and better and the jedi i think you know when especially when we talk about yoda here in a bit got complacent and i think when complacency sets in and you've been doing the right thing and you've been the the moral authority for so long you don't want to let go of that you don't want to lose that power you don't want to become the minority you know and that's there's definite damage there adam Plus, if you make a mistake, you get stuck in the archives with Jocasta Nu. So they probably were just happy to pretend. <laughs> I would pretend at yes. that point. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they had to do like the little Dewey Decimal System thing that you had to do when you were in like elementary school. <laughs> you know, oh, you gosh. don't mess around with Master Nu. <laughs> Organize the holocron. By date and author. And the whole time she's just pointing that lightsaber rifle at you. (laughs) And don't touch the red ones. (laughs) You you know that she would be the one to yell at you if you were laughing too loud in the library. Like she'd she'd start throwing things at you. You know, she'd be she'd be mean. (laughs) Yeah, she'd shut the screen down if we she knew we were laughing at her right now. (laughs) Oh no, Adam, she'd have She'd use the force to bring like a couple um couple rulers over and just smack us on the hand from across the room while she's just sitting. <laughs> like the old days. <laughs> exactly. I remember doing this to Yoda when he was little. Whoppa. <laughs> and that's why uh, she's there. Hey, I- <laughs>
Hey, I will say though, for all the crap we're giving her right now, the comics have really fleshed yeah. her out. I mean, I think it's the the Vader comic, uh, the second one, I think, yeah. Dark Lord of the Sith. You know, he he goes in and Jocasta's one of the last people there. Um, you know, trying to protect everything, and she's she's a what's what's the word I'm looking for, man? She's a beast. <laughs> she th- she is that. Yeah. Um, an absolute beast of yeah. a like like. There's a reason that that she's lived so long, and she's I mean she's super knowledgeable. So you got to look out for those smart people, man. They know what they're doing sometimes. Yeah. So that's that's why we read books. This is why we're here. Read Star <laughs> Wars books. Become knowledgeable. Be oh. like Jocasta New in the end. Comics are books. You, so much Learn good comes out of those comics. So much good comes out of those comics. Yeah, they are they are really on a whole other level right now. We get to chapter nineteen, which is the face of the Sith. I too think the opening of that was brilliant because we get obi-wan and uh yoda kind of camouflaged and hiding and this is the point where i just have to ask will the real baby yoda please stand up (laughs) because this was this was legitimately baby yoda before we got the child in the mandalorian and i laughed my butt off (laughs) when i got to this because i completely forgot about this scene you know they're sneaking around coruscant trying to figure out how to get back you know into the jedi temple to manipulate the code and obi-wan's like a hunchback and yoda's basically in this little stroller this ugly little mug just like this toothy grin and i just oh i loved every second of that and they pulled the the jedi mind tricks on them and you know that was a really funny paragraph to be like oh yeah these reasonable and agreeable people walked by and said this reasonable and agreeable thing and it was perfectly reasonable and agreeable that we proceed with letting them go because it's reasonable and agreeable (laughs) and I loved the the getting to see how the mind trick works, you know, basically inside, you know, inside the minds of whoever it's happening to, to kind of see that that reason follow through and and how the the Jedi can manipulate that. I thought that was really neat. Adam, go for it. I, I sorry, you're probably gonna talk about it, but I really enjoyed the the clones thinking the place was already haunted. Like right. You could not pay me to step foot in that building if I knew what had happened. <laughs> no, not at all. So we've just we've just massacred a organization that literally utilizes the force of the galaxy and the universe. Not not going in there. <laughs> yeah. Nope. 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 They keep seeing the robes kind of wisp around yeah. the corners and they, they think they hear things and Amazing you know whenever visuals. it yeah they uh you know they they hear these random noises you know from places where nothing's happening and i did think back when i read that scene to uh obi-wan on the death star um you know when he's trying to to power the system down and you know he kind of like throws the rock you know through the force or whatever and just kind of makes the sound you know appear somewhere else like yeah. throwing his voice in a way and i was like this is this is so cool <laughs> um yeah matthew stover matthew stover is a phenomenal phenomenal gifted writer to be able to to pull all of those things in and, and expand that i wish that we could have seen this in the film right mm. like them really sneaking in and, and having to experience the clones continue to come after them you know because there are more and more and more and you get the clone picture of uh you know they're like i don't understand we just sent like a squad of five guys down you know down the hallway yeah. into the door on the left and then we get to the hallway and the door on the left and they're dead and then you know we go to the next door and there's five more that are dead like why do we keep sending these people yeah. off like um it was like, beautifully done like don't get me wrong i really enjoyed the 
Yoda playing catch with his lightsaber in the Jedi Temple courtyard in the film, but you're right. There's just one of those scenes that really would have added to the film, and there's we're going to get to it, but that particular scene in the last chapter on our Lord and Savior's yeah. chip, like if just ima- I could just imagine what the reaction would have been if that was in the film, and yeah, this is just one, yeah, one of many I think that would have added. I'd, I'd sit there for four hours, George, make it happen. <laughs> Release <Yep>. the cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Release. The mob demands it. Uh, everyone, it's a five. Um, hour, it's a five. It's a five-hour movie. Not long enough. <laughs> no, make it a whole work day, and we're good. Uh, one of the things it would it would never happen, but I would absolutely love love a an animated series that kind of reinterpreted the films. You know, um, that really gave them, you know, the 15 to 20 episodes due and we got to see some of this extra content. Um, I don't think we will ever see that, but I I would love to spend more time in each of the films. Um, I think that'd be really cool. And speaking of animated, like with Order 66, were you guys thinking uh, Sage of Mandalore arc as it was happening? Oh, 100%. Now that we've seen that, that was... I just couldn't stop thinking about the kind of the time sharing between that arc and and everything that was going on. Yeah, and like, the way the way that they shared some of the audio, you know, from the film, we got to hear that in the Clone Wars. You know, I mean, we're starting to merge those worlds a little bit. Uh, was, yeah, go ahead. Because I was thinking about um, when Anakin's just watching the fight, and if you think back to the Siege of Mandalore, at the same time, um, Ahsoka's just looking out the viewport of the the Jedi cruiser. It's like they're both alone. They're both in their thoughts. And then it just falls off the rails from there. What if they were, you yeah. know, you know, they're both alone, but what, what would have happened if she was there or he was there with her? Oof. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't, I, I don't know. I, I say I want all these things, but I'm like, I don't know if I could take it. <laughs> <laughs> Just welcome to the welcome to the book club, and we're all just laying on the floor in the fetal position. <laughs> How's your day, Adam? Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who's definitely not in the fetal position, and that is Papa Palpatine himself. Mm. Um, on three seventy um, and the hardback, you know, we get him giving his speech to the Senate chamber um, and to everyone there. He called this emergency meeting. And this is one of the the times that, I mean, George played pretty heavily with the politics in the films. I mean, that was kind of the point of them to begin with, was a commentary on, you know, what the world has kind of become and what it could become. And, you know, especially for him living in the United States, you know, like these are some things we ought to look out for. And, you know, democracy is going to, you know, fall down with thunderous applause kind of thing. Um, and especially reading this, you know, I... I pointed out a couple of of quotes you know he talks about how the separatists have been utterly defeated the republic will stand united united and free um and then he says never again will we be divided we are one nation indivisible to ensure that we always stand together you know we'll always speak with a single voice and act with a single hand we must evolve and then he talks about you know we're going to become the first galactic empire and i was just like you know stover's laying it on you know pretty thick um, because a lot of politics 
you know, I think all around the world, but especially in the United States, um, you know, it's, it's very contentious and everyone would like to believe that the other side doesn't exist, you know, and especially where we are now, sometimes we like to sweep things under the rug and, um, and be like, yeah, this is great. And, you know, we'll never be, you know, divisive. And for the handful that are divisive, well, they're just dumb. But I, I thought it was really interesting to see Palpatine and in this particular moment to see the Senate so um, accepting of him. Um, and I can't help but think, you know, I, I bet that Palps probably could have been like, this turkey and cheese sandwich is the best sandwich I've ever had. And they would have all been like, yeah, like he could have said anything completely random, completely against anything that they were talking about. And just this mob mentality kicks in. Right. Um, they don't actually know, I think, what they're what they're applauding. And, you know, that's years and years and years of deceit on his part, obviously, that has led to that. But I don't know. I just had to call that out because I really do think that they would chant for just about anything. And Padme, my girl, man, you know, she, I think at this point, you know, she's the hero of the rebellion here because, you know, she's like communicating to Bale, you're going to have to vote for him. You know, like most of the 2000, you know, the delegates of the 2000, like most of them have already been arrested or going to soon be arrested or killed. And she's like, you have to play along with this. And this is why we left you off of this. Um, and she's like, you have to keep playing your part. And the thing that we don't talk about that I know about, um, you're going to have to keep continuing that. And I, unless she had encouraged him to do that, you know, he was going to fight and it probably would have all been worthless. Um, and, you know, I've got to say, you know, shouting out Amy, you know, she's Padme's really the unsung hero of Star Wars, I think, in many ways. And that's an excellent point. I mean, we wouldn't have anything that we had without her. And, you know, to see her give this encouragement to Bale to to keep going, I thought was really, really cool to see. And a, a strong point for her, because in the film, we just kind of see her, especially she just kind of hangs her head. Um, but here we get much more of that urging of now, like there's more that can still be done. And I probably won't be the one to do it. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live anyways. Um, and that's I, obviously she says that because you know, she knows that she's about to give birth and Anakin's told her she's going to die in childbirth. So that's probably setting in some, and you know, she's already had concerns about Anakin, but to be able to voice those things um, and to encourage on, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why she's becoming one of my favorite characters in star Wars. Um, and this moment beautifully exemplified that for her, for me. And then we get Obi-Wan, you know, they get back and they're watching the temple footage and Obi-Wan sees all of that. The one thing I thought was kind of neat was that we see a little bit more of the Anakin Palpatine conversation that it's also about saving the holocrons. Um, I don't remember that being in the film. And I know that's going to bleed into, you know, other books and expanded lore because, you know, the Jedi have been keeping these things safe. But that's something I never really thought about. If Palpatine really wanted to get in there and get all that knowledge back that, you know, the Sith had locked, the Jedi had locked down of the Sith. Um, I thought that was really cool to see. Uh, Patrick, anything else there towards the end of that chapter that, that stood out to you? Trump, Palpatine, 2020. That's all I thought. I'm pretty sure that man was about to pull out a Make it the Galaxy Great Again hat and just keep the crowd going. Mm, yep. I was, <laughs> yeah, the biggest thing for me um, coming out of this was Padme, naturally. And I think it gives a little bit of credence to her passing which you know could have been done in a hundred different ways 
if she had to pass at all. But not only losing her life partner, who, as we know, she loves deeply, but also seeing her other love fall apart, democracy itself. And, you know, yes, she'd fight for it, but with everything going on, I think it's, I can see Padme just adding that to her, her burdens and the fall of democracy. And, and I think she probably blames herself a little bit with her relationship with Anakin. And, you know, maybe that bleeds into her at the end of the story. And that's just another reason that she just, it, it's not just Anakin that breaks her heart, but it's the galaxy as a whole. And I thought it was really cool, you know, bleeding into the next chapter, how she, she tries to remember young Anakin, you know, in the midst of all this heartbreak in the midst of everything going on. She's like, you know, there is still good in him, obviously. And she'll say that, but to, to still, to still reflect and to have the willpower to think about try to find some semblance of saving things you know she she lost everything she's been fighting for her whole life but you know there's one thing that she can still hold on to and that's the memory of what anakin was and and, yeah and she does comment that you know she'd be happy to go to naboo and raise the and raise the raise the twins with anakin if he was to leave the order but like knowing padme in like after a while would that be enough for her just being there with herself and her kids would, you know, I see her as someone who just won't be able to help herself. She'd have to get out and help others. Um, yeah. And now, you know, in this chapter, she, in her mind, perhaps she's lost that ability. I could totally see that. Um, the cool thing about chapter 20 is the one, I actually looked up the name of, uh, of it. It's Chiara Scuro. Um, which I had never heard of before, but it's actually this artistic representation, especially in pencil drawings, of highlighting the stark differences between light and dark. Um, and so that word literally means light dark. And so it's, you know, about shadow clay and everything. And at the beginning of part three, which I, mean, I didn't read, but it talks about, I'm gonna, just going to read it real quick because it's really cool. We talk about the dark, right? It talks about how... Um, the dark is generous and it is patient and it always wins. It always wins because it is everywhere. It is in the wood that burns in your hearth and in the kettle on the fire. It is under your chair and under your table and under the sheets on your bed. Walk in the midday sun and the dark is with you, attached to the soles of your feet. The brightest light casts the darkest shadow. And that to come into effect really strong here in this chapter, I think, um, was really neat. Um, because this is the epitome of light and dark. We get some small things, you know, like uh, getting to hear from 3PO's perspective. You know, we get to see kind of what he and R2 think about this and see some of their conversations. I thought that was really cool. But, you know, this is really this is really where everything, you know, rubber meets the road. You know, this is where it all falls apart, where the story is forever changed. And, you know, we talked about Anakin earlier and, and Palpatine being the dragon's master, as it were. You know, he feels like he's got that venom still in him. He's like, I don't understand. Like, I thought I killed this thing, um, but I can still feel it, you know, whispering that I'm not good enough and I'm not strong enough. Um, so maybe it left some venom in there. And I thought I thought that was really cool to see. And then really Yoda Palpatine, we get this awesome fight. And Patrick, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you know, in the film, it's it's epic. In the book, I think it's even better. You know, this is, as, as the book says, this is the Lord of all the Sith versus the Master of all the Jedi. You know, millennia of Sith versus the Legion of Jedi. It's light versus dark. 
tell us what you thought about this, man. It also showed us that the Jedi and the Sith, they were not in the same time period. In terms of tactics and the mindset, the Sith left the Jedi behind a millennia ago. Cause, and Yoda's even thinking to himself that we were preparing for the Sith of the Old Republic. We were complacent all these years. We weren't thinking of them being, like you said earlier, being patient, being cunning, being in the shadows, being quiet. The Sith they had known for thousands of years on before, they were boisterous. They were impatient. They were quick to battle, always ready for a fight, loud, always wanted to be seen. And it really comes to play and also how Yoda, he questions, he questions everything in this fight. Even like the teachings, how he um, how he taught every Jedi wrong in outdated outdated ways, and I think also in the middle of this that the arrogance and the idea of being right just it it crashes down on him. Like everything, the realization that we were wrong for a long time and we did a lot of messed up stuff. And we, we kind of caused this to happen. Just crashes on him. And part of me feels like that is the reason, another reason why he could not beat Palpatine. Like, the whole realization just flooding, flooding you that this is, this is kind of your fault. And the fact that you're not going to beat somebody who was preparing for this moment all of his life. They just wanted it way too much. Yeah. But, and to think that, you know, he had been working at this for 900 years, you know, <laughs> he's, I mean, for a, a millennia itself, you know, he's been working on this and still he's arrogant enough to think that he can take, that he can end it all. And yeah, to see that kind of fall back in his face and that realization, that realization is hard. You know, the, the higher you are, the harder you fall kind of a thing. And, you know, he talks about his pride being super wounded and he doesn't quite know how to how to wrestle with that and how to cope with that. Let's head to Mustafar or Mustafar, especially Moose Tafar is our new uh, shirt. Uh, definitely go pick that up. Utini.com forward slash merch. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful tea featuring a moose. But we'll, we'll post that uh, in the channel later because y'all definitely want to pick that up. Uh, let's head there because we get Obi-Wan and Anakin going at it. This is where I thought, you know, the movie, for, for obvious reason, I think spent a lot of time here, probably more than Palpatine and Yoda. It's the more exciting, the more heart-wrenching, the more um, you know, heartbreaking fight. But in the book, I felt like it was it happened and then it was done really quickly. I wanted to see if y'all felt similarly. Patrick, it looks like you might be nodding your head. Uh, did, did you feel that way about this? Yeah, especially listening to the audiobook, I thought they went from inside, and then the one thing that did seem like it took a while was when he, um, Kenobi felt his arms breaking. Like, oh dang, I didn't know Anakin was that strong, but it seemed like they went from that, oh, next thing you know, they're at the point where he's saying, don't try it, Anakin, I have the high ground. Like, oh, oh, what happened to the rest of the fight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Adam, feel similar there? Oh, definitely. But I also took, I think there's a particular passage in the book where Obi-Wan is monologuing as he's wont to do. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he just doesn't want to strike him down. He doesn't want to go full offensive and yeah. because he just can't do it yet. And 
Then I went to the movie and thought, oh, this is a really long fight. Yeah, for the visuals and it being a movie that wants to make all the money. But like just that passage there kind of made the length of the scene in the film make a lot of sense to me as well, where perhaps Obi-Wan could have manipulated the environment. He could have fell in, fallen into the force as much as he could have to end the fight as soon as possible, like we see in the book. But you know, the comment of, I just don't want to strike him down, uh, like really made the link to the film for me. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, what you got? Also, I feel like this fight really shows how strong Anakin was as mm. like a full-bodied Vader. Yeah. Yeah. We we talk about how scary he was, just it, the man in the suit, you know, just force choking people in the original trilogy um, and just having his way in the Empire. This man, <laughs> unhinged, full-bodied, three of his four limbs, I'm about to say all of them, but that would have been wrong, three of his four limbs was a definite problem. <laughs> and if he has a more of a level head and thinks a little more clearly, yeah, he he does not lose. Mm. No, the only thing that really keeps him from winning everything is what's between his eyes and what's between his ears because the power this man had is second to none. Like if he, if he put his emotion down just a little bit more and focus just a bit better, he, Oh my, oof, it's scary to think about. Like he was untouchable. It's yeah. It's, um, could you just imagine, like, if this went a completely different way and we had Sith Anakin, the right hand of the Emperor, but still pretty boy Anakin, where to a galaxy, he's just Anakin Skywalker and he didn't betray the Senate instead of this monstrous android cyborg. We have just Anakin Skywalker. And in, in behind closed doors, he's a Sith Lord, but in the public, he's just the Jedi who didn't stray. It's a really interesting concept. Yeah, and he he talks about, you know, when he sees Padme's ship land, right, that, oh, I've got to put my Anakin face back on, you know, and I have to make sure that she can see the joy in my eyes and the monster is hidden, that, you know, the the spunk, like he talks about even having to like jog, you know, out to see her um, to make it seem like he's very happy that she's there. Um, yeah, that that stark difference between the two that even he separates Vader from Anakin. Yeah, um, I, I guess to cope because it was it was hard to read when he's slaughtering the Separatist leadership and he's got jokes like right. He's a Sith Lord with <laughs> jokes. The, like it was just, <laughs> it's just I don't know what's that happening right now. <laughs> what do I say, oh, we were promised a handsome award. Oh, I'm not handsome enough for you. Yeah, and like Amy yeah. said it in the chat, the reaction of the separatists when they see the face under the hood, like just and they just can imagine their whole their life just fell away under them even before the lightsaber struck. It the it reminded me a little bit of that quick scene from Rogue One where we get uh, Krennic don't choke on your own aspirations, and I was like, aha, he's got jokes, and he's had jokes this whole time. <laughs> Yeah, really, really neat to see like Stover spell that out like here. Like all those scenes, just take out Vader, even on the Rogue One, um, when the Rebels are trying to get the plans to Leia. Just insert Hayden Christensen there and see if you think a little different. Is he just 
a member of the mm. government now help uh, taking out rebels? Like, what would the galaxy think at that point instead of seeing this monstrosity? <clears throat> I, I think there's a, a what if comic series that needs to happen. Uh, you know, Joxy's been been coming up with some great theories in our Discord and uh, over in Slack as well. And I feel like he had, he had to spell this one out too. Yes, Patrick, what, what you got? Oh, if Anakin does not lose any limbs in this, there is no Palpatine. Nah. Because yeah. Palpatine can yeah. not keep that man down. Yeah. It's like he was, he, uh, he, was, he was upset at the thought of losing Anakin, but a maimed Anakin, nah. Well, I can work with that now. Oh, yeah. A maimed Anakin can never overtake him. No. Nope. Full-fledged Anakin was about to be stronger than him in about a, a few more, like, uh, hour-long lessons in the dark side. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like them, a par- Them dark side thing. It's like a parallel in like from Rebels. Remember when um, Palpatine shows up without his scars and he in the world between worlds and he and he's talking with Ezra. Um, It's kind of like that where you just it's you you don't want to think differently, but you kind of do. Like at the time, Ezra would have seen this old this older gentleman trying to help him find his family. So and everyone loved Anakin and. And feared Vader are just yet yeah, very different, interesting. Yeah, the uh, the the Force perspective, I guess, too that that can kind of be there. The way that Palpatine can project himself, you know, he we got a little bit of that in Yoda, you know, in the, the last chapter as well, right? Like Palpatine's like, I see this little green dude, but in the Force, I see a giant. Mm. Uh, I thought that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, to think about Anakin in anakin's you know full-fledged form going on rampage to the galaxy that definitely paints a different picture and that would be really interesting to see how that that would have played out but yeah the vader suit and everything is just so menacing and you know he it just builds to this legacy and really the separation of you know there's something about you know luke saying there is still good in him it there's definitely a better presence i think of you know physically inside his mind but also or you know but in the in the suit as well like this this outer you know veneer that you see there's so much more to the person inside of that so i don't know this whole book this whole story is just so artfully done in the words of grand admiral thron um (laughs) who's not in this book but He's got a book coming out September 1st. If you haven't purchased it yet or pre-ordered, oh, so head to excited. YouTube.com. It's going to be so good. I'm really stoked. Leading into chapter 21, you know, speaking of, of Palpatine not being able to probably kill a full-fledged, you know, Anakin at his best, I, I have to ask, you know, there's the scene that opens up chapter 21, you know, it says the Sith Lord lowered the limbless man tenderly to the cool ground above and laid his hand across the cracked and blackened mess that once had been his brow, and he set his will upon him. Live, Lord Vader. Live, my apprentice. Live. Do you think that he um, that he kind of pulled a ray here and, and kind of willed Anakin back to life? And when, I, when I read that, I was like, it kind of seems like, you know, Palpatine is really feeding him and kind of keeping him alive here, you know, maybe with just the dark side energy. But I don't know. I kind of felt like kind of the opposite of what Ray did, you know, with Ben or the same thing, but you know, from the different perspective, Adam, did you see that at all? Yeah. It made me kind of think a little bit about the midichlorians and cause I, I think a lot of people have read Darth Plagueis and the ability to manipulate the force microorganisms into healing and, and, um, you know, keeping someone from death's door 
So I kind of thought of that and then, you know, thinking to that scene in The Rise of Skywalker or scenes in The Rise of Skywalker, I like to think that that's what Ray's doing, that the, the midichlorians react to the light side of the Force in that, in that time. Minichlorians are a thing. It's in the Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Don't throw it so, away. It's, like it's, it's, it's one of those, because um, we don't get a lot of prequel in the sequels. So it's one of those links that I try and headcanon a little bit. And and even now, um, this is kind of where, you know, the old, did Palpatine take the life force from Padme and in, in mm-hmm. give it to his apprentice? Um, and I think this is one of those scenes that kind of, kind of give a little bit of credence to that. I personally don't follow that train that train of thought. I, um, but yeah, I can definitely see that that could be something that he's doing. Yeah, Patrick, how about you here? Because you know there, there's there's some controversy, you know, on on what actually killed Padme. You know, where where do you stand here? All right, see, I'm in the conspiracy theory side <laughs> that it wouldn't be all right. Thinking back, thinking back to Kotor, one of like mm-hmm. the dark side powers you had was drain. Yeah. To like, mm-hmm. so you could suck someone else's life to give you some help. And that's what I always thought they it's because thinking that Kotor came at before Revenge of the Sith came out or was made, that they had snuck that in there, as uh, he drained from one to save the other, because mm-hmm. there's not much. How else would you explain her dying? Yeah. Could Adam? Could um with Palpatine's victory over the Jedi and the Ducks victory over the Light, I'm I'm guessing he was infused with quite a bit of power at that point. I've also in the past thought that, especially in my first read, that perhaps Palpatine was giving some of his own life force through the dark side into into Anakin, noting that at that point that is like top tier Palpatine nearly until we get to Rise of Skywalker, but he has, he's the epitome of the dark side. They have won. So perhaps maybe he was feeding Anakin a little bit of his own um, force in life. Adam, you to, know, uh, they're too selfish for that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But, but he did think that Anakin was like the perfect tool. It's yeah. I don't know, to reference Madden two weeks in a row, I'm thinking if I'm Palps and I'm the quarterback and I'm at 99, I'm thinking if I need my tight end and Anakin to be a little bit better, I can sacrifice five or ten points to give him a boost. He needs to punch through that line, you know? (laughs) Or you can sacrifice somebody on the other team. You could. It's like you could. Like every time. That practice squad wide receiver don't need it. <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm seeing Padme with a yellow flag. Like, hey, stop it! Flag on the play. All I'm seeing is footballers with helmets. You're weird. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, fair wait, enough. the the one question, Adam, which football do you subscribe to? The one with the um, the round ball on the floor, the Aussie one, or the, the one where you actually use your feet? <laughs> <laughs> the one where we use our feet. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, but like as well, like with the whole Palpatine getting stronger, every time a Jedi fell, I, I I also think does that make Palpatine a little stronger, being the conduit to the dark side? Like mm. um, you know, thinking back to the old Republic part with Vitiate, remember he gets all the Dark Lords onto um, 
Nathema, and he, yes. he, there's for those who haven't who are old Republic um, versed, he tricks them into also, doing into a ritual. Look back. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, you know, he um he uses the dark side ritual, and he takes all the power from the Dark Lords, and as they die, he gets their life force. It's like could that kind of be a little bit of what Palpatine did with the Jedi as well? As the as the dark grew stronger, he naturally goes stronger, being the single point of the dark side. Yeah, maybe so. Um, we're we're coming up. This is this is a long episode, um, <laughs> but I kind of want to I kind of want to walk through you know the last the last little bit of this chapter. Um, a lot happens, you know, we get, we get Yoda conversing with the force that often manifests itself, you know, to him as Obi-Wan. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing to see, um, especially because when we read, um, you know, books like Dooku Jedi Lost and Master and Apprentice, um, their relationship was fairly contentious. Um, and for Yoda to, to realize that, you know, Qui-Gon actually might have been right this whole time and he's powerful enough to end up being able to voice himself in the, um, you know, through the force. I think that that's really cool um, that we get to see him there. Bail adopting Leia is just absolute perfection to me to see how giddy he gets and how excited he is about the the idea of taking this little girl home with him. You know, he's like, I don't know much about the force, but I know a lot about love. And I was just like, oh, happy tears. It's just so beautiful to see. And adoption has always been a, a pretty big part of Star Wars, I think. Uh, and, you know, there's love it or hate it in The Rise of Skywalker, too. You know, we get Rey taking on that name of Skywalker. And we're about to get into Bloodline, where your family lineage plays a big role in that. And Leia, you know, and... We're going to save that for later. But I, I think it's really cool that this was extra kind of hyped here. And then to get Obi-Wan, you know, saying, I, you know, I literally can't imagine another way to spend the rest of my life, you know, than going to be the crazy old uncle, <laughs> you know, to this this kid. And I thought that, that was cool. And Bale asks, you know, do do you think the twins will, will grow up to defeat Palpatine? And... I was like, they, yeah, they, they will, because we know the rest of the story. And honestly, they will twice because it was both Luke and Leia who also trained Ray. And to see that legacy continue on, I thought was really cool. The last thing really is about Anakin. You know, we get this beautiful ending of this is what it is to be Anakin forever. Patrick, I know you wanted to talk about this. Hit us with this emotional gut punch and I'll try to end us out on a cheery note. <laughs> That the whole time there was no dragon, it was him. That everything he could have been doing instead for her, he was doing for him. The gaining of power to save her was nothing more than a power hunger grab for him. He could have ran away with her. They could have ran off, lived on the countryside with the kids, and a nice quiet life. War's over. He's hands free of the Jedi, but he had to get the power. He thought that his way was the only way. But then he realized there was none of it. And the only thing it will leave him is himself. And we honestly seen this with a lot of well, the rest of the Sith prior to him. That at the end of the day, all they have is themselves. And that's got, that's, that has to be the most sad, just distraughtful 
finale to this that he realized everything just was for naught. And almost it was a lie in itself. He, I think he realizes that this was a trick and a lie, but it's all he has. He, there's no turning back. And it's, I don't know, like you said last week, um, how you um, you thought of the story of Jesus getting tempted in the desert. I thought about the, um, the story of Eve. Um, taking the bite of the fruit and listening to Satan and the serpent and the downfall of her and Adam afterwards. And it's, if this is supposed to be symbolic of that, it's, it's truly masterclass. Yeah. And uh, you're totally right there, Pat. And, you know, in the film, I think it's hard to kind of see that all the way until the point where he is forced choking his wife and the woman that he loves. However, when we read the book, we get more examples of Anakin making that decision prior to that even happening. Like in my mind, you watch the film and he takes out separatist leadership. He's doing it in a really serious manner. Like this is a step to me saving Padme. But in the book, he's in there making jokes. He's enjoying himself. He's It's already gone. Like he has he, he's already made that decision at that point where it's very different in the film. You don't really know for sure until that he he has injured padme however in the book like we we know straight up that he has moved on already he he's enjoying himself so it's a it's it's a savage i mean it, it really does paint him at at his his lowest point when he has lost absolutely everything he has no choice but to just give in and just be like all right i've, I've made my bed i'm a lie in it that's really hard to see uh, to see someone fall so hard like that um to close out the chapter and really you know the book in general we get the very last page page 418 um it talks about kind of what everyone is doing now right like you see yoda um you know heading dagobah and he's looking at these unfamiliar things we see um two sith lords standing on the bridge of a star destroyer you know with this guy named tarkin and they're you know watching the death star be born and then it says, but even in the deepest night, there are some who dream of dawn. And I absolutely love that quote. And it really leads into the ending of it, which is the last segment that we get on the dark. And it's the dark is generous and it is patient and it always wins. But in the heart of its strength lies weakness. One lone candle is enough to hold it back. Love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars. And I was like, for all of the trauma that we just went through, to still have some kind of hope at the end of that is just beautiful. You know, to and obviously we know the rest of the story because this happened backwards, but you know, to be able to to know that Luke and Leia are gonna come around and they're gonna change the world. I think this was just a masterclass in in authorship in storytelling in putting together a book and in being an expanded novelization of a film i don't know final thoughts guys is this worthy to you of being in the foundational five you know what it's more than worthy and upon my second and the audiobook form of going through this book i would say something reckless maybe y'all will agree with me maybe y'all won't but i'm putting it over lost stars Okay. I'm putting it over. I know how great Lost Stars is. 
and how how well it's written out. But the depth that this gives us to something that's already heart wrenching enough to make it even worse, it's it's a little over the top for me. And you mm-hmm. know what? It deserves that top spot, that number one of all time. Yeah, I think to be able to Lost Stars did something crazy in that it gave us an entirely new cast of characters and was still able to tell excellent storytelling with a backdrop of the original trilogy. That will always be, you know, towards the top for sure. But yeah, this is this is something else. You know, this adds so much depth to something we already know. Adam, how about you? Pat, I will die on that hill with you, my friend. I uh Revenge of the Sith is not only my favorite Star Wars movie, but it is also my favorite movie, period. And this book would have to be um nearly the top book of all time for me as well. Um easily for Star Wars. I, I easily belongs its spot in the foundational five and i think it gets the penthouse suite it's just spectacular and it adds so much to the movie it adds so much to the story as a whole um i know we probably talked too long but thinking back into you know added scenes the qui-gon scene at the end where qui-gon is talking with yoda for a good five minutes of the book like if any scene any scene out of this book was to get dropped into a a four-hour cut this would have to be the top of the list nearly um just yeah an amazing story amazingly written um and for me it's just it'd be so hard to top Um, yeah because you know we i when i think of legends even from the i read a lot of old republic it's more narrative based it's all about the story the galaxy always seems to be ending then you got canon on one end which is bringing in real personal stories um, I think that this book is like the perfect in between where yet yeah, galaxy is literally <laughs> coming to an end in a way, but the personal story as well is, is as important, if not more important. And the galaxy ending is just a backdrop of that. Yeah. I'm right there with you guys. I'm, I'm so glad this was our first book. You know, obviously we talked about Ahsoka, you know, beforehand, but for a first official, you know, run at this thing. Um, I don't think we could have chosen any better. Um, so now we just have to live up to the quality in every other book that comes forward and make it as impactful and meaningful as this, which I'm really excited about our next book. Um, and I do want to go ahead and share, um, you know, the publisher's summary, um, you know, with you guys. I know we're, we've already a little bit long, but I think it'll be all right. So we're going to be reading Bloodline by Claudia Gray next. I think one of the cool things about this book is that we just watched what happened to Anakin. We watched him become Darth Vader. And this next book is really Leia getting to wrestle with who her father, her birth father actually was. So I'm super excited about it. Let me read the publisher summary to you real quick. Witness the birth of the Resistance. When the Rebellion defeated the Empire in the skies above Endor, Leia Organa believed it was the beginning to a lasting peace. But after decades of vicious infighting and partisan gridlock in the New Republic Senate, that hope seems like a distant memory. Now a respected senator, Leia must grapple with the dangers that threaten to cripple the fledgling democracy from both within and without. Underworld kingpins, treacherous politicians, and imperial loyalists are sowing chaos in the galaxy. Desperate to take action, senators are calling for the election of a first senator. It is their hope that this influential post will bring strong leadership to a divided galaxy. As the daughter of Darth Vader, Leia faces with distrust the prospect of any one person holding such a powerful position. 
and even when the supporters suggest Leia herself for the job. But a new enemy may make this path Leia's only option, for at the edges of the galaxy, a mysterious threat is growing. I am super pumped to read this book in September. And I know that we're talking about September, but we also need to briefly talk about October because we're trying to figure out what book to read after Bloodline. So this is one of those weird times where this episode is going to cover basically three months worth of material. Um, <laughs> so we we polled you guys last week and the community, the highest rated book, the highest mentioned slash the highest emojied book from the community was vector prime i'm gonna blame juliana for that one solely <laughs> i see she's in our chat so i'm gonna throw you under the bus there um, that is a legends book for amy uh, that just asked so vector prime is the community pick but don't forget that adam and patrick and i also have some picks as well that we're gonna throw out there and see what sticks so um, Adam, how about you go first and tell us what book you have picked um, for our patrons to decide uh, this week? I Jedi. I Jedi. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, say it a little bit louder for those of us on the back. I just got. <laughs> I just, um, I've just got a message on Slack. I'm fired. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So you have chosen I, Jedi, um, and that is mostly, I'm assuming, just to figure out what all the hype is about and to get under Corey's skin, huh? Little bit of column A, little bit of column B. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I have chosen our, and that is, that's a, a, a Legends book as well. It is. Um, I I am putting forward Dark Disciple. It is one of my favorite canon books. You get a lot of time with Asajj Ventress, and this book made me love her as a character so much. So I'm putting that one forward. It is also our sole canon book um, that will be on this list. Patrick, hit us with yours and defend it. <laughs> the Lost Tribe of the Sith and um, How I Will Defend It, because it's a Star Wars book and we all love Star Wars, so we're going to read it. Yeah. I have no <laughs> argument there. I have nothing to say against you there. Uh, also, um, I just want to mention, we did Revenge of the Sith on its 15th anniversary. Ooh. Yeah, we did. Go us. That's the way of the Force, man. Totally planned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> that it does. So for all of our patrons um, that are listening and that are out there, this you can vote for one of these four books. Uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, Dark Disciple, I Jedi, or Vector Prime. Um, you can vote on this this week. The poll on Patreon will end um, at the end of this upcoming week. So probably around, I think it's Friday night, sometimes Saturday, early Saturday afternoon. Um, once it ends, we will announce the book that we will be reading on the next episode. So very much looking forward to that. So um, if you are not a Patreon, you can go check us out um, patreon.com forward slash Utini. If you're not a Patreon yet, though, I would recommend waiting until Monday or Tuesday, maybe, because um, on, on Tuesday, we will be unveiling a new tier structure. Nothing will really change with our $5 and $10 tiers, but our um, our Alliance High Command and Jedi High Council tiers are getting um, a massive renovation happening to them, and those will go live on Tuesday. So, But definitely go in, check it out. Um, we'd love to have you with us and supporting us, um, and we thank all of you who already are. Um, we're very excited to have you on board, and we're super excited for everything that Utini has coming down the line. 
But I think that's a great place to end it, guys. Um, thank you to everyone in our chat for participating in the Conjure Book Club. We'll be back next week to talk through Bloodline, uh, chapters one through eight. It has like 30-something chapters, so bear with us on that. In the meantime, please keep the conversation going in our Discord community. Adam will get everything changed over here by the end of the day. If you're not on Discord yet, I mean, you're listening to us on Patreon, feel free to contact us. I mean, we'll get you all set up. You can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at theycallmep13. Adam is at darkstarau, and Patrick is on Discord at mac11. If you want to jump into the book club and help support the show, look up this book on youtube.com. Click the Amazon link in the profile, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash utini, or pick up some sweet new merch at utini.com forward slash merch. Special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Alec Householder, and Patrick Latiz on our Jedi High Council tier for your amazing support. And last, but certainly not least, thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. You guys are so much fun and a blast, um, and this was a great time. May the Force be with you, everyone.